0: Friends, grace, grace, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. During this season of Lent, we've been hearing and focused on the words that Jesus spoke while hanging on the cross. We started out hearing his first word, a word that Jesus speaks as he's literally dying on the cross, he, and he speaks a words of, of prayer, On his lips, he he prays, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And how remarkable this was. It was not a contempt-filled curse. There was no tone of retaliation in his voice. It was a prayer. It was the purest of prayers, a prayer for forgiveness. He's literally praying for the forgiveness of those who are engaged in the very act of murdering him for crimes that he didn't commit, even and in spite of all his efforts to show love to the people who who needed love the most. Instead of speaking back and hurling insults upon those who are mocking him, Jesus prays. He prays, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And again, what didn't they know, right? Well, of course, they didn't know truly who Jesus was. And they certainly didn't recognize the real cost of it all, that he was was hanging there, not just the physical and emotional pain of it, but literally suffering the punishment of separation from God, the punishment of hell that he endured in our place for our sins and for us all. They didn't know. But amazingly, today in our uh, sermon lesson here, our Bible reading coming up in just a little bit, we're going to discover somebody who starts to see this clearly. Somebody who discovers something that the other people weren't yet seeing, something that it, it seems almost as if he might have been one of the most unlikely people to possibly see it clearly. Who was he? Well, he himself was a condemned man. He's one of the two criminals that are crucified on crosses next to Jesus, one on Jesus' right and one on Jesus' left. Tradition has it that he was the guy on Jesus' right-hand side, a thief. There wasn't any track record of goodness in his life. He hadn't lived a good life, not by a long shot. We don't, we don't know his name, we do know that there were these two criminals, each one crucified on one side of Jesus, one on his right, another on his left. A close reading of the other gospel accounts seems to indicate that both of them initially started out mocking Jesus and heaping insults upon him. Along with the Jewish leaders and the Roman soldiers, they're ridiculing Jesus. They're heaping one insult after another upon him over whose head was that written charge, right? The king of the Jews. But then, then there's a drastic change in this man. His heart changes. He he finally stops insulting Jesus, and he actually starts trusting in Jesus. He's a man who has but a few hours yet to live, but whose eternal destiny is about to be changed in a moment. And here's how it happens, how Luke records it in Luke chapter 23, starting at verse 39. He writes, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him, at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. So there were these two criminals being crucified, one on each side of Jesus. The one, the one continues heaping insults upon Jesus, contempt-filled, bitter, angry words as if to the very end. Think of it. He's going to spend his last stubborn, desperate breaths Mocking and ridiculing Jesus. What a way to go through life or through death, huh? But then there's the other guy, the other criminal on Jesus' other side of the cross who, who rebukes him for this. He, he has a question that he asks him, and, and it's a question I think that's really, really important, and it's a question we should probably also ask ourselves. His question is, don't you fear God? So let me ask you, friends, don't you fear God? Or don't you know what Jesus himself said just a few chapters earlier in the Gospel of Luke? Here's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12. He said, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Well, who is was Jesus talking about? He was talking about God. Jesus says, you should fear God. Fear God? Why, Jesus? Well, because God is, is holy. God is 100% pure, set apart from sinners, and because there's no single person on this planet, not now, not since the fall into sin, save Jesus, who who is worthy to stand in the presence of the holy, 100% pure, blameless God. So who do you think you are? Or for that matter, who do I think I am? that we would ever deceive ourselves into thinking that we could so nonchalantly carry our pet sins as if to sneak them into God's presence one day and expect him to be okay with that? Who are you? Or for that matter, who am I to ever think that we could escape God's righteous judgment over sin with flimsy excuses like, well, I've tried really hard to be a good person in my life? Or well, at least I'm not as bad as some other people, comparatively speaking. Or, but Jesus, look how much I've sacrificed to serve you with my time and money and energy. Friends, don't you fear God? The fact is, whether, whether you're young or old, we've, we've all accumulated a lifetime's worth of sins against God in thoughts and Words and deeds. It is, as the Scripture says, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's repeated, there is no one righteous. Not even one. Well, thankfully, one of those two criminals being crucified next to Jesus, he recognized this. And after asking the question, don't you fear God? He goes on to say, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, Jesus has done nothing wrong. So I think we, we can learn from this condemned criminal a really important lesson about repentance and about faith. It's essential to admit what our deeds deserve. It's not just that this man was admitting that he d- deserved the death penalty for crimes that he knew he committed. It's, that he's admitting point blank that he knows he doesn't deserve any good thing from God. There is no sense of entitlement before God. And the thing is, friends, that's true for us all. We should get what we deserve. And what's that? It, it is our just condemnation. And that's why we come here week after week, openly and honestly, to confess before God and for each other. We don't just come here to do our own thing. We don't just come to feel good or better about ourselves or to do whatever makes us feel good. It's why I stand up here with you week after week as we come before God and we confess our sins. And often what we say is, of course, I confess that I am by nature sinful. I've disobeyed you, God, in thoughts and words and actions. I've done what is evil and failed to do what is good. And for this, I deserve your punishment, both now and and in eternity. Well, thankfully, this is really what the one thief or criminal next to Jesus is confessing. It's what he's confessing incredibly too. Have you ever seen uh, a cross like that before? Raise your hand if you've seen a cross like that. It's probably not something you're familiar with seeing, perhaps. Uh, This is an Orthodox cross or an Eastern or Russian, Ukrainian Orthodox cross. Uh, I wasn't familiar with it either until Sarah and I, my wife and I, took a a group of high school students over to the country of Ukraine uh, many years ago now. And and this is the cross that you see on churches and and icons and things in, in the East. And it maybe looks a little funny because you see at the top, it's got the little bar at the top. And then at the bottom, it's got that little slanty bar. So at the top, that maybe makes some sense. You think about the the charge against Jesus written over his head on the cross, right? The king of the Jews, that's what that represents up there. But then there's that little slanty bar at the bottom. You know what that represents? Why on one side it's pointing down, on the other side it's pointing up? It's because it's meant to represent, on the one hand, that first criminal in our Bible story today. The one who with his last breath unto the very end is heaping insults upon Jesus who's stubbornly rejecting him up until his final breath. And what happened to him when he died? Well, he got exactly what he wanted. To be as far away from Jesus as he possibly could. And in that, he actually got exactly what he also deserved. He went to hell. Friends, don't you fear God. But of course, the story doesn't end there. There's there's the other side of the bar on the the right side that points up. And why? Because that that represents the second criminal in the story, the thief on the right side of Jesus' cross, according to tradition. because, Because where did he go in the very moment of his death? He went to heaven. He went to heaven. Here's how. Again, he said, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, this man has done nothing wrong. Right? This man, this bloodied, beaten wreck of a man, Jesus. He has done no wrong. He is the holy one. This man. It's it's remarkable, isn't it? I mean, everyone. Everyone gathered around the cross is practically heaping abuse upon Jesus. And this one condemned man in agony also on a cross next to Jesus is the only one talking well of Jesus. And he recognizes his helpless condition. I mean, he literally physically isn't even able to wipe the sweat off his brow. He cannot move. But more than that, he recognizes that he's also spiritually helpless. He cannot save himself. He cannot, and he knows it. Friends, do you? Friends, this is exactly where you and I need to also find ourselves in order to turn to Jesus as our Savior and to see in him what that man also did and to be able then to say (laughs) with his next words, Jesus Savior, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Oh, that word! That word, remember. Oh, is, is a word that's that's pregnant with meaning in the Bible. Right? God, God remembered Noah, and He saved him. Right? God remembered Moses and the Hebrew people in their slavery in Egypt, and what did God do? He He showed up. He delivered them. Samson prayed, Lord, remember me. And what did God do? He strengthened him one last time for one final act of of deliverance. So in the Bible, when God remembers, it's not that he forgot. It's that he's going to act. He's about to jump into action. He's going to save. So when this man prays, Jesus, remember me, what he's saying is, Jesus, save me. Remember me, Jesus. Because that's what Jesus does. He saves what a confession of faith, isn't it? Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. When literally no one else is looking to Jesus for anything, this man is looking to Jesus for everything. And how will Jesus respond? Well, here's how he answers him. Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Oh, the wonder of grace. Truly, Jesus says. You know, so often Jesus speaks like this, doesn't he? Right. Truly, I say to you, truly, I tell you. I tell you the truth. Truly. As if to say, th- th- here is something that you can stake your life on. Here is something that you can take to the bank and count on. Truly, today... Not some distant day in the future. Today, not some day when I come back. But today, in the very hour of your death, later this afternoon, you will be with me in paradise. Paradise. It's the only time where Jesus uses the word paradise to describe heaven. Just think for a moment, what, what do you think this criminal here, you know, what's going through his mind when he hears Jesus use that word paradise. I think without a doubt, the word is carefully chosen by Jesus to set this man's imagination on fire with the thoughts of of all that God put into the original garden, right, the garden of Eden, and to have this man think of this picture, this perfect place, serene and calm, this place of happiness and peace. The world the way God always intended it to be. A place where human beings would would live and dwell together in in perfect harmony. A place where they would know God and not as an adversary but as a friend. A place where there would be no sin or any of its effects. A permanent place of perfect joy. Paradise. Paradise. Friends, that's what Jesus promises. That's what his word gives. That's what makes Christianity unique. That's why we call it the good news. Believe it and live. No matter who you are. No matter what you've done. No matter where you've been. No matter who you've been with. Believe and live. The Apostle Paul said it like this. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone, everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. The righteousness, so this is like God says, be holy, right? Be righteous. And now how does that happen? A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The thief on the cross was not a good man. He didn't deserve a thing from God. But when he repented of his sin and he turned to his Savior, what did he receive? God's grace. His undeserved love. God's free and full Forgiveness for a lifetime's worth of sins. He was guaranteed a seat at the table and a place in the kingdom. And so too, friends, there's only one way for you or I to have such peace too. And that's by faith in Jesus Christ who died in your place and who rose again to assure that you have a place with him. So we see in this story the the essence of repentance and faith. We also see the wonder of God's grace. In fact, if you think about it, this guy got even more than he asked for. (laughs) He just says, remember me someday, like when you come into your kingdom, just remember me. But in fact, Jesus gave him even more than he could have dreamed for. Jesus said, today. Before the scorching sun sets on our dead bodies on the cross, you will be with me in paradise. Friends, that's also what Jesus promises you and me who trust in him by faith. There is no purgatory. There is no penance that you have to do. There is just Jesus' promise. Believe the good news. Today you will be with me in paradise. Right? Believe in Jesus. This is the Bible's message. And you can be right now 100% confident in your life that at the very moment of your death, you know exactly where your soul is going to be. And that is safe with the Lord forever in paradise. No ifs, no ands, no buts, no strings attached. That's grace. Now, some would say then that if that's how it is, then why not just spend your life however you want and then just come to Christ at the end of it all? But let's just be clear about this, friends. This is no game to play with your soul, your immortal soul. Because the majority of the people who were gathered around Christ's cross there, they continued to heap insults upon Jesus and to reject him right up to the very end. Their hearts became like as hard as concrete. And and the Bible says that's what happens. The more that you stubbornly resist and reject God's word, the less likely that it's going to be that you're going to want anything to do with Christ and be like that other thief who condemned Jesus even with his last dying, angry, resentful breath. And the thing is, none of us knows how long our time of grace is going to be, do we? I think, if anything, this last year during the pandemic has taught us just how much we all need God. How little do we really know? How little can we actually control? So don't delay. Right? How long will it be? Tomorrow? Ten years? Today? That's why Christian preaching sounds like this. Here's what the Apostle Paul said. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor, his grace. Now is the day of salvation. Now, today. So don't delay, friends. Don't wait until it's too late to come to Jesus. But here's also the good news, right? Because God's salvation is complete in Jesus, 100% accomplished and freely available, that means as long as a person on this planet has life and breath and everything else, they still have a time of grace to come to know the grace of God. And so long as they are here on this earth, they have the opportunity to get to know their Savior who lived and died for them. Right? So here on this earth, it's never too late It's never too late for somebody to come to Christ. So let me ask you this question, friends. Is there anybody in your life that you've been just kind of writing off? And I feel compelled to ask this. Is it it yourself? Because I want you to know Jesus loves you. He will never stop loving you. He came all the way to this earth to die for you so that you could be with him forever in paradise. Okay? You can forgive yourself because Jesus Christ, God's son, came to win forgiveness for you. And when you know that, that you have nothing to prove, you have no one's approval to earn, you too can be filled with the same kind of love that Jesus came to show and forgive and love as he has loved you. He's for you. Is it, is it a family member, a friend, a neighbor? In the eighth grade theology class, uh, I give them a, a scenario to answer on a test. The scenario sounds like this. I'm going to read the scenario, okay? Here's what I write on the test. I say, your uncle Rodrigo, a struggling alcoholic, confesses to you. Man, I hate thinking about Judgment Day. When you look at my life, it's obvious that I don't stand a chance. What could you tell them? What would you tell them? Friends, think about, think about this story in the Bible, right? Think about this story. Perhaps you might say something like, Uncle Rodrigo, man, I, I hear you. I hear what you're saying, like, the thing is, none of us stands a chance on our own. I mean, we we all stand condemned before the Holy God, but that's why Jesus Christ, God's Holy Son, came to die on the cross to take our sins away. And you know, next to Jesus on the cross, there was actually another guy who, being crucified next to him, who thought he didn't have a chance either. Because he knew he was getting what he deserved. But then he, he acknowledged his guilt, and he turned to Jesus, and he prayed, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And you know what Jesus said? Jesus didn't say, well, hey, look, man, first you have to kind of clean up your life and prove that you're going to be good enough for God. No, he said, today, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise." So if that's true for him, isn't that true for you? My dear uncle, embrace the wonderful grace of God. Because if it can change that man's life, it can also change yours and mine. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all our human understanding guard our hearts and our minds through faith in Christ Jesus until we see him face to face in glory, in paradise.